Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. Guest, His name is Dennis Haw, and he's just published a book titled Pocket Guide to Communism. I highly recommend this book. It's an accessible book. It's obviously very timely and gives you an idea of really what's happening in the current culture and the, the historical basis for what's happening in the common culture because none, nobody dares say the word communist or communism in relationship to what's happening. But I will say it. It is communism. So you really need to know the past history of this Marxist type of movement to understand where we're at today in 2021. But Dennis is going to help uh, also you know, elucidate on that subject. He's also written a section of the book about critical race theory. So we're going to talk about that as well. So Dennis Ha, are you there? I am, sir. Awesome. Thank well, you thank for having me on. Yeah, well, thanks for agreeing for the, to the interview. For people who may not know of your background or all the stuff that you're involved in, can you talk about your background and what led you to put together this book, Pocket Guide to Communism? Well, um, I'm an ex-Air Force officer, and as such, uh, I went through the Survival Escape Resistance Evasion Program, uh, which was the order of it back when I went through it during the Cold War. So I was a Cold War warrior, and uh, since I left the Air Force, I've been uh, in the computer industry as well as rocking out on guitar at night. Um, but anyway, I saw the need for this because I recognized a lot of disturbing trends going all the way back to 2008. Uh, and as time has gone forward, I've gotten more and more concerned about the stuff that I saw because we in the United States haven't really been educated on the real nature of communism. And so I've tried to distill that into about a 45 minute read, hoping that as many people as possible will read it. Yeah, good. I mean, it, it's something that people need to read. So I highly recommend people read through this book. And so can you talk about your kind of intro is about the nature of communism. What is the nature of communism? Well, the nature of communism is based upon uh, division, uh, the oppressor and the oppressed, whether it's real or contrived in, in, in actual point of fact, communism is started by a contrivance, um, it, whether it's class in the original Marxist vein or CRT uh, going after race. And I'm sure we'll get into that more more depth. I would like to point out before we get started, though, William, one of the key things, and I don't talk about this in the book, but in the future going forward in my writings, I'm going to start to highlight this. I'm actually an abstract mathematician, so that means I'm inculcated in the, in the world of theory. But I'm also a, a computer scientist and grew up on a dairy farm, so I'm inculcated in, into the realism practice. And so... Um, I, I want to try to enlighten people as, as to the differences. And in this book, it touches on the thinking behind or the theory of some of this stuff. But you really have to recognize the realities because theories are great to give you an idea, but nobody lives in the theoretic world. Right. Very good point. And I mean, I think you can apply that to all of Marxism, really, is that he was really kind of a crank theoretician, in my opinion, but he was coming up with theories that uh, I'm not sure they were applicable to the actual functioning of a national government, at least efficiently. He, so he had these ideas of what alienation and oppressor and oppressed. So there's always 
somebody who's being oppressed in some form. And I think that's really the, the fundamental grievance structure of communism. Would you agree with that? Yes. Uh, it, it's always somebody has an ax to grind against somebody else and they just won't let go of it. Right. So, but it's, I mean, communism also, would you say it, it's a political system, but do you think, I think that there's also a religious quality to it. There's an atheism and, uh, you know, religion is the opiate of the people. Can you talk about like communism as, 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 uh, as really a social cohesive force against current states until they're overthrown, right? Like the, the, I think Marx wrote that it was inevitable, it was a scientific reality that communism would take over the world, right? So everything that has to change to get to that point, that utopian point, would you agree with that? Well, yeah. I mean, communism, uh, it depends upon how you define it, because certainly in the United States, we had um, uh, religious communes like the Amana colonies. Uh, as opposed to the atheistic uh, communism that you're talking about with Marxist-based communism. Uh, but the focus of this book and the one that concerns us is, is the atheistic uh, communism. Um, in the founding of Marx, he actually uh, believed in Hegel's dialectic and that uh, history was leading somewhere. And as a result, uh, due to violence, uh, he could, uh, uh, or I should say, uh, the um, dictatorship of the proletariat could guide humanity to the emergence of this Bolshevik man. And uh, that's the fundamental uh, Marxist theme. And this emergence, by the way, is what we in the computer business call a, a halting condition. Okay. And one of the things that I'd like to highlight, and I do this in the book, is CRT is different. It doesn't have a halting condition. And so Marx and Engels pra uh, promised uh, nonstop revolution uh, until that point where everything was wonderful and utopia. But if you look at critical race theory, uh, it, it's so constructed that uh, it really doesn't even allow for that. And again, that's theory. There's no such thing as this in practice. Right. I mean, so they're talking about theory without really a conclusion. It's just hammering on these points in CRT, which I think you point out very well in your book. That's based upon critical legal theory, which is based upon the Frankfurt mm -hmm. School and just critical theory in general. People yeah. like Adorno and some of these other characters, um, but <clears throat> which come out of left wing thought. Um, so how, what are the fundamentals of communism that Americans should be concerned about? And what are they, what, the, what are they seeing before their eyes? Oh, wow. Well, the first thing to realize is that, um, communism aims to destroy our Western way of life, period. That's just a given. And you can't lose sight of that. Uh, and you also need to realize that the main tool in their uh, weapons list is language. And there's a word for what they use. It's called a Sapian language. And it goes back to the mid-1900s. Uh, and what it does is it 
contorts the definitions of key words for starters. Um, as I outline it, basically, actually, it comes from Louis Boudens, who was a, uh, a communist during the Cold War, who actually Bishop Sheen converted back to a Western thinker. And he um, identified that it starts with upside down definitions. Then it goes to double talk, the big lie, and changes of the line. And those four items des describe a language. Um, I mean, we don't think of it like this, but languages move, and a Sapian language is really kind of a, um, a real contorted dialect of its host language. For example, for us, it would be English in the way that they, they uh, redefine things. So, for example, one thing that uh, people should be concerned about dealing with global warming is to uh, a Marxist, a, their leaders are scientists. And that's why they use the term scientific socialism. And it has nothing to do with true science. It really has to do with top-down dictate. So what we're seeing today with the do as I say, not as I do, these Marxists don't see any um, hypocrisy in that. They believe that's just the way it is. And so when um, AOC says we've got 10 years till we're incinerated, she's the scientist. So the, the people below her will believe it. Right. I mean, and, and the, the thing changed. Gore said that 20 years ago, right? We had 10 years and nothing's really changed. So you can kind of see the continuing propaganda but it is interesting. That's a theme in your book is this Asapian language and the ability to, and it's really Orwell, Orwell keyed into that same thing with Newspeak and uh, all this, this ideas that suffuse the communist socialist ideas, ideology, which is this manipulation of words. Well, and, and we really need to realize that this is not new. This has been going on since the early 1900s. And uh, there are a couple of really initial examples I'd like to point out on that. Uh, the first one is we're supposed to be a republic, not a democracy. And what they've done is they've changed the thinking because that's the whole intention is you redefine things and then you twist people's way of thinking so they can't think clearly. And uh, democracy is not a good thing. Uh, it has no justice involved with it. it is, its only principle is majority rules. Or mob rule, or mob rule, right? Well, ecclocracy, yeah, um, true. Uh, but a republic, the distinction is it's a democracy with the added principle of justice. And specifically, I mean justice, not social justice. That's another example of the Sapian language. The instant you put a qualifying adjective in front of the term justice, you've just created another injustice. That's a great point. And you're, people are being subjected to that all the time, the term yes. social justice, not just justice, but these are the subtle changes in meaning and really the push for a democracy. Like you think sometimes that these guys just don't understand the state and nature of our civic political system by keep saying, oh, why are you doing this to democracy? But there's actually, you can interpret that as a very devious Marxist thing is to actually change people's understanding of the system to right. head towards a Marxist road, if that makes sense. 
Exactly. As a matter of fact, if you go out to the CPUSA, the U.S. Uh, Communist Party website, they have on there uh, in bold print for democracy, for equality, for socialism. You notice it doesn't say for a republic because republics don't fall to communist takeovers. They first transition to a democracy and then they fall. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's dangerous, very dangerous uh, uh, language being used. Um, even this kind of idea of progress and things like that. I mean, <laughs> what is what is their concept of progress? Yeah, and that's the key because you, whenever you hear a politician these days speak, and I'm not talking just Democrats, but when you hear them say something like that, uh, whether they say they're a socialist or a progressive, you can't think of what they're saying. What you're hearing them say is what they're saying because they're saying something that they intend to neutralize your objection to. Uh, whereas people who want their same goals are going to lap it up and realize what they're up to. Uh, and in particular, somebody like Bernie Sanders says he's a socialist. Well, that may have been true back when he was uh, in favor of gun rights. Uh, but if you notice, he's come over to taking uh, rights away from the people. And the instant somebody says they're a socialist, but they're taking away your rights, that's not a socialist. That's a communist. Right. So they always use these kind of benign terms. But like you said, for a progressive, like somebody who's outside of this kind of uh, socialistic communist worldview, they would say, oh, you just really want progress. But to them, they want progress to communism, right? Right. That's what progressivism means is uh, communists say that it's it's um, anything that advances socialism. But to them, what socialism is, is it's the time frame between the collapse of capitalism and the emergence of Bolshevik man. So what they're really saying is they're living in that time and promoting communism. Right. And can you define what the Bolshevik man is? Oh, I've been asked this, and uh, I forget what the actual name of it is, but it's it to cut to the chase, it's somebody who doesn't need government. They, they uh, uh, just, like an automaton, uh, behave in a collective manner. Right. And what, why does, I mean, let's look at what's happened in China, for example. Uh, we know that this is a communist system. Mm-hmm. <sighs> What were the steps Mao took to input this communist system, and what are the results? Well, if you look at it, he took over uh, China in the late 40s, uh, but it was incrementally ratcheted up as as all top-down forms of government, if you will, all totalitarian schemes. Um, and he basically, I mean, he basically just fought a civil war to take over. But then the big increment that, that really killed millions of people in China uh, was his, um, uh, I forget what he was called it. Was it the cultural war? Was it the Great right. Leap Forward? Yeah, uh, that was all intertwined about 1966. And uh, fundamentally, if you look back at that, and Matt Lohmeyer, uh, who is the epitome of a patriot, uh, I have, uh, the young man makes me proud that I'm an Air Force grad. Um, anyway, he talks- Can you define Nolomar? Because he just came out recently. Some people may not know his book that he put out. I think oh, he got okay. fired, right? 
Well, he got relieved of duty. Uh, Matt uh, is a 2006 Air Force grad. He's uh, a, He was a lieutenant colonel in Space Command up at Buckley. Uh, he was promoted two years below the zone. Um, he's just an incredible talent. If anybody was uh, destined to be a chief of staff of the Air Force, he was. Uh, but when he saw things uh, going on with critical race theory in the Air Force, that's it right there, the irresistible resolution. He took a stand, and um, he's um, he, he's just an incredible young man. Uh, and in his book, he talks about uh, some of the incidents that happened from uh, during that cultural revolution. And if you really look at it, what you had was uh, the young generation was outright killing the older generation. And this is the kind of thing that is really scary. Um, the, the lead singer in my rock band and I were uh, talking out in Las Vegas a while ago, and he's he's got a problem with uh, his son is an outright socialist. And um, he made the comment to us at dinner that he was he knew that if things really went bad here, that his son would turn them into his people. And that's exactly what happened during the cultural revolution. So the, the old thoughts that we had of um, bleeding heart liberals, well, that's gone. Gone. There's no liberals on the left anymore. They've been drowned into nothing, nothingness. They barely ever talk. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yes, I highly recommend this book. Um, and, I should insert here that uh, I'm a member of uh, an organization called STARS, Stand Together Against Racism and Radicalism in the Service. And uh, we talk to Matt uh, quite frequently. We support everything he does. As a matter of fact, tonight, uh, one of the founders, Lieutenant General uh, Rod Bishop, and he are speaking at the same uh, place up in the mountains here in Colorado. Um, and uh, his lawyer is actually the main legal advisor for, for STARS. Okay. So we have a lot of uh, coordination with Matt. That's great. I mean, and you see this coming. I mean, you see the Marxism goal. You've got Antifa, BLM. You mentioned in your book, they're both Marxist organizations. They're members. I mean, BLM is flat out said we're Marxists. The three ladies who started throwing some occult there too, which is kind of a strange melange or mix. Um, but it's really real and nothing's happening. You'd see nothing in the legal. I mean, as an attorney myself, as a member of the state bar of California, like, what are you guys doing? Is it, There's a crisis. I mean, there's a legal crisis that these people can go around and get out of jail. And then the guys who are in the Capitol are thrown into some kind of like communist style prison where they've been in there with, for five or six months. So you're definitely seeing a different imbalance in justice. And it should scare every American. Because this is kind of communistic, Marxist-type, revolutionary stuff. Right. And I don't know who all the players are, and I'm not even convinced that they're all playing together. Uh, but one thing we do know, right, is that uh, all these DAs that are upside down, like Garcetti out there in L.A. or, or Kim Fox in Chicago, uh, they're all funded by Soros. Uh, Georgie Schwartz. His real name is George Schwartz. He's a not flat out admitted Nazi collaborator. 
Can't write oh, yeah. it. Oh, yeah. I know his background. Yeah. He's, uh, oh. I'm surprised he's... they don't. I mean, they have, in the Department of Justice, they used to have kind of a Nazi hunter thing where they got the guy, what was his name, uh, who was involved in the concentration camps. But why don't they get Schwartz? Why don't, why don't they bust him? That's incredible. Um, it is. Um, I think he's probably ingratiating himself to the right people is the only answer I can come up with. Well, if, if you're paying their their finances to get elected, I'm sure yep. that's ingratiated. And you, we yeah. can go into this last election about Zuckerberg and these other guys creating front groups to ch fundamentally change the election. So that's a whole other story. But there's very dangerous things happening right now. A lot of people really aren't on point or are not uh, – really cognizant of, of these fluctuations in the culture and the political system. Exactly. Um, and uh, I was following uh, Mike Lindell's uh, symposium in South Dakota the last three days. Uh, a lot of uh, the people that I know here in Colorado were actually up there. And uh, the way he was censored is just egregious. Um, the problem is that... Uh, what the Asapian that I think people aren't recognizing is they've redefined lies to be opinion. So all a lie is to them is somebody with a different opinion. And that I believe is an important thing to recognize about these people. And, and what we need to do is we need to take back the language. Yeah. We can't let them do this stuff anymore. That's the real lesson of uh, 1984 is the, the real change in language and meaning. And I've talked to these people on the left, and you're talking to somebody who speaks a different version of English. Their definition of words are different. And that's why there's so much fire and fluctuation. But you're talking to somebody in a, you know, kind of a, like a heavy-duty religious group or something who's been dazed over, like he's part of Rajneesh Purim or something like that. Yeah, I swear I've had these conversations. I live in California, so I know what it's like. Yeah, their brain's been reprogrammed. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the examples I can give for that, you know, that it's not accidental that Anglo, the Anglo world has been so dominant because it's, it's based in the way that English wires people's uh, brains to a degree. Um, and I'm not denigrating other languages because I'm actually um, a, a polyglot, but uh, the, the, one of the things that gives uh, English a heads up is there isn't any overhead in uh, declensions to speak of. And the pronouns are very straightforward and simple. Uh, he, she, it. And now one of the things we could benefit is, from would be the ambiguous uh, man, like in German. So, you know, when I was growing up, it was just standard that he was used when there was ambiguity. Uh, but you now, now you see a, an extension of Asapian is to redefine all these pronouns and talk about inflicting confusion, which is the whole idea of Asapian language. This, this is setting it off the charts. Right. And we I mean, shouldn't I mean, let it happen. Well, I think it's already past tense. I think it's already happened. So I think that uh, people were, you know, it's kind of, kind of like in 20 or 30 years, they're going to write something like, why England slept, it'll be why the U.S. slept when all this mm -hmm. stuff happened. Why are people just sitting on their thumbs? Um, I mean, how different is what the idea? I mean, the utopianism is really 
something that I think is really fascinating in conflict. I mean, you were talking about how the young will attack the old. Like, why don't they acknowledge what's happened in China, Soviet Union, um, Cambodia, where they literally said year zero, gave the kids Kalashnikovs and exterminated a third of the population so they could bring in a utopia. How can they, how does this system justify it's mass murder. That's the weird thing that I want to talk to people. It's like, don't you know these guys killed millions and millions and millions of people? Yeah, well, they're overwrought with emotion. They, they have no ability to focus beyond the, their rage. Um, how you get them off of it, I think it's an individual uh, situation, unfortunately. Um, I just, I, I don't know what to do about that because I just think logically. So it, it, the only thing I can express is the observation that how do people get roped into this emotional rage? Well, I think the, the hook is they use empathy. So it's, it's the American tendency to try to help out the downtrodden, if you will. Uh, and I think that that, you know, although that's a good thing, I think that's been used against us so that, um, people just get more and more enraged that people seem to be getting the short end of the stick. So. All right. So that's it. I mean, I would say kind of the way that the system is changing would benefit has, has benefited this ideology. In my opinion, I would say that mm -hmm. it's become less fair and definitely. So this class, I mean, you've created it from a system that used to be less class, oriented into really a uh, different set of rules for the rich than the poor. And so I think that that's a huge mistake for people who are really designing the society. But how does how do you define critical race theory and how do you think this plays into this whole uh, cultural shift? Well, uh, the, the bottom line difference is critical race theory just substitutes race for class. Um, nobody bought into uh, class warfare in the United States uh, to any large degree because people had upward mobility. And they, they might have an axe to grind for a while, but eventually they're going to get in a better, they were going to get a better spot. But Herbert Marcuse, the anglicized uh, pronunciation of that name, uh, noticed with the uh, race riots in the 60s, he came up with the idea of switching over to race for division. And that uh, first led to critical legal theory. And then critical race theory was founded upon that with a few tweaks. Um, but they both have their roots in critical theory, which was, as you mentioned, the foundation of uh, the 1930s Frankfurt School which was some got uh, some Marxists who uh, fled to, I think they wound up at Columbia uh, rather than getting uh, killed by the Nazis and brought their communism over here. And then most of them went back after the war, but Marcuse stayed. All right. It's like a doorknob, all these kind of uh, the usual suspects. Mm -hmm. Um and just they were just critical of everything. I mean, that's the whole thing. Criticism until the system comes down, right? So right. nothing's ever good. And you kind of see that kind of uh, culture in the U.S. right now. Like nothing ever worked. It's all racist, blah, 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 blah. 
Um, and also the kind of moral relativism, I think, is pretty fascinating, too. So you see, like, uh, you see that same thing. And, and it's really, the, they've, they've uh, ascended really the commanding heights of our media and culture. I think it's really scary. Right. Yeah. Well, they started where all totalitarian regimes uh, do. They took over the schools. Yeah. I mean, I think that was it. Wasn't that Gramsci? I think he that was his kind of addition to the communistic worldview was if you can't just take the politics, you do the long, slow march through the institutions. And, uh, you know, so you can see that. And that's what they've done. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And uh, I mean, how what what's what how do you perceive a solution or what do you think is the next steps? Oh, boy. Uh, well, the first step is to call spade to spade. And uh, what I mean by that, we have an aversion. We've been conditioned and have an aversion against name calling. And I agree with that. We shouldn't call people names. Uh, Labeling is a terrible thing. Uh, but by the same token, when somebody says they're a socialist, we shouldn't just let them get away with that. If they're a communist, we should call them a communist. For one thing, it may wake them up and they may realize that they're on the wrong side of this. But um, that's one thing. Um, Back in December, I identified three things that I thought were uber important. Uh, And uh, those were election integrity, fighting critical race theory, and that's gotten elevated and and focused on critical race theory in the military. Because if we continue down this path, that uh, critical race theory is going to pervade throughout the military, we've got big problems. Uh, And then the last one is trying to figure out how we uh, reverse the cancel culture. Uh, because in, in the book, I talk about bullies, cowards, and heroes. Well, it's pretty hard to be a hero when they, they, uh, cut you off at the knees with any way to make a living. So, um, those things I think are imperative. And uh, that second one, um, CRT in the military, that's why I'm involved with, uh, uh, stars and, uh, we're, trying to take that head on and we have uh very senior retired officers involved and quite honestly it's kind of like being in uh uh, a west point grad in 1860 because our enemy is our friend so it's a it's a very awkward position but it's one that both uh affords a, uh, a possibility of success as well as uh uh, a lot of frustration. I mean, but don't you think that, I mean, I think we're fortunate in some ways, maybe in other countries where like Russia, where they couldn't go back to saying like, what's wrong with the current liberal Republican, you know, structure of liberal democracy. I feel like that they just re- need to reemphasize the essential, if, hopefully that the essential fairness and, and justice in these kind of institutions uh, as far as they used to work. But I think that, I think that this, this, uh, these ideas or these ideologies have found fertile soil and place in problems with the institutions don't run right. So I think that the corruption in these institutions has allowed all this stuff to happen. Well, and it's really difficult. I'll just talk a little bit more about the military 
is the military is supposed to be apolitical. And the problem we've gotten in a nutshell is there are those of us that recognize that CRT is political and it needs to be cut out of the military. But then there are people that have bought into the wokeness and they view us as being political to want to cancel CRT in the military. So it's, it's a really interesting problem from when you approach it and realize that's the nature of the problem. Uh, there are no easy solutions to it and it's just got to be done one step at a time. Um, the other one that I mentioned was election integrity. And the thing I throw out there is people are probably unaware of this, but Colorado is ground zero for all the issues with election integrity. And it goes back to the 2004 election. And there's a book called The Blueprint that was written by Wetwer and Schrager uh, that uh, details the uh, what happened in Colorado with the Democratic Party, uh, because you basically had the gang of four, as they call them, totally take over the Democratic Party, and it, it, it no longer uh, was what it had been before that. Um, and that book tells you everything legal that these guys did. It doesn't tell you anything illegal, which, believe me, there were illegal things done. Um, All right. So this election wasn't the first illegal election. There's probably been illegal elections for decades. They just haven't found out. That's right. And uh, the mathematicians that you would have seen uh, uh, in Lindell's uh, symposium have been distilling this and they've been looking back on elections and they can actually tell you, okay, this election was maybe fair enough because there's never been a, a, an election probably in human history that's been free of fraud. I mean, some kind of fraud, is, right? Right. It's just that when you computerize it, you enable fraud to go onto steroids and, and very rapidly. And what we saw out here is we were seeing them actually doing their trials on how they would commit the fraud back in the early 2000s. And what they've done is virtualize that. And what I mean by that is they put it in the computer world. Right. And, right. So and, it's all, yeah, it's all programs and uh, all well, kinds and of the, coma. And the easy way, it, it's sitting right in front of our faces uh, to see the fraud and everybody's noticed it. But, you know, as you see the, uh, slope of that curve on election, and then you see all of a sudden the slope is like this. Right. Well, that's enough right there. Right. Because what this slope is telling you is it's telling you the capacity of the system. Well, how do you exceed the capacity of the system to an almost infinite rate? Well, the answer to that, Joe Altman's the guy who actually picked up on it, is the reboot of the system. The reboot of and when a system computer system reboots, it does things that it doesn't normally do in order to set things up. Well, it's a golden time to go out and find what are called phantom ballots, and then associate them with all the people who haven't, who are known not to have voted. Right. So it's really so the computer strange. does that, right? The computer does it. Oh yeah. To make it, it look legit. Yeah, it's simple to do. Aren't they, isn't in Arizona, aren't they going to go hand to hand to just confirm that these people actually voted just to make sure? Because that would be the giveaway. Other than the 70,000 person slug of 
anonymous ballots that popped into the system. Well, uh, USCIP is actually knocking on doors, and with the help of of uh, Dr. Doug Frank, they've identified uh, a subset of the population that they believe they can go out and knock the doors and and find you know fraudulent votes. Even more fraud, right? Yeah, but in Arizona, I don't know that they're going to go knock on doors. I do know. Uh, that uh, they have definitely gone back to the paper ballots and uh, they've looked at them very solidly. Um, I mean, well, well, I mean, the question you have to ask the average person is what's the idea of any vote? Is it more important to be efficient or correct? That's so right. the whole notion, anytime, like if you can be dominion, who cares? Who cares if it takes three weeks, get hire a bunch of people, do it hand by hand, you want it to be correct. So you have the will of the people. It's a fundamental thing. These are these are such uh, elementary principles that you have to have legitimacy in a government based upon the will of the people. However it's done, whether through representative, representative republics, uh, it's the foundation of any nation. So not having a functioning vote, and people have wore Bev Harris, Black, Book vote, Black Box voting, Tim Canova. These guys were warning people and it came to fruition in 2020 in a mm-hmm. big way. And mm-hmm. it should scare the lit. The average American should walk around in a state of fear over what happened in 2020. Because if it doesn't get corrected, we're done, baby. It's, it's the experiment's over. Well, and the astounding thing is that the Republican Party seems to not get it because they they, they're saying- the beneficiaries too. That's the whole thing. They're, they're the beneficiaries of vote fraud back in Bush. Oh, That's yeah. the whole thing. So yeah. they're, they're all the entrenched people, they're probably all benefits. That's the well, that's why they're still there. That's why those cronies and guys who are who've been in the office for 50 years is probably due to vote fraud. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, no, you're right. You're right on that. But uh the thing is the mindset of the Republican Party, even down here in the local level, because Colorado Springs is actually a Republican stronghold. And uh, a lot of the establishment Republicans, if you will, have this uh, notion that, well, we'll just get them in 2020. <laughs> so, it's like, so corrupt. <laughs> it's so gross. That's the whole thing. They, they just sat on their thumbs, too, while all this is happening. Very few establishment Republicans really care about vote fraud. They should, it's crazy. This is yeah. the most incredible time in, that I've been alive in America. And uh, the sleepwalking is really what's scary. So, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wow. So you got any ideas on cancel culture? Yeah, please share. I'm sure your ideas. Do you have my ideas or you want you to share yours? I want you to share. I want you to share yours. Well, it's part of the whole, you know, cultural revolution is that if you don't have, it's not the idea of your own opinions. uh, If you don't have the right opinions and they're program, they're actually conditioning people to be that way, to really be afraid. And they'll go right after your job now, which didn't really happen, you know, five, 10 years ago. So, Right. The only thing I thought of is I want to start a website called Bullies, Cowards, and Heroes, basically the same as my last chapter. And I want to start uh, shining a light on institutions in particular who are bullies, you know, like Facebook, Twitter. YouTube, Twitter. Yep. Yep. And the ones that are cowardly uh, and the ones that are standing up. Um, There aren't many, but there are a few. But I think if you can get the weight of the American public to recognize those and start applying 
their collective pressure on some of these institutions, we can maybe move the needle on on them. But the I way, don't know. Do you know the way to move the needle, Dennis, is not use them. So. Oh yeah, I agree. You, I mean, when I uh, yeah, don't get me started, man. Right, and uh, I don't know. Why, I don't know why people are really that tolerant of these corrupt organizations that are really mind raping them. They, they're manipulating what you see. They're, uh, you know, ghosting uh, articles. I mean, it's incredible what people tolerate. They're already conditioned, baby. We're way past that. Yeah. <laughs> if you're on Twitter and Facebook, oh my gosh. Well, and uh, you know there are. Uh, you know, I am involved with some folks that are wanting to come up with alternatives. I don't want to disclose what they are, but, uh, you know, the success of those things depend upon the word getting out. And that's a very difficult thing. Well, there's a, is there a place to start. The place to start is now, in my opinion. Definitely yeah. start now. You need to prep now because uh, they, they I mean, you, you had Jen Psaki just blatantly say before she left her job saying that the government was calling these corporations and telling what to say or not say that should scare everybody yeah no people just looked at it like oh that's one should terrify you it's in the ops plan that uh shiva Yaduri points to right no that 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 lawsuit that he's involved in might be one of the most important lawsuits uh, that i've looked at in my life like there's so much involved there because what he also revealed is that the left is is putting together threat threat modes and threat uh, charts of people to see who they're going to go after, who is possibly a threat to them, which is really scary. I mean, they're literally, I mean, it's like uh, the enemies list Nixon had. So they actually openly admit it. Yeah. I don't know what to say, but you guys got to read this book, Pocket Guide to Communism, Foundations of Critical Race Theory. You can see how it traces back. This ideology goes back and really is a threat to your freedoms, threat to your individual sovereignty. And, uh, if you have some problems with history, just go back and look what happened in the Soviet Union, China. People resisted. When, the, when they had the Cultural Revolution in China, they systematically went through, and they did the same thing actually in Russia. Russia. Every group that resisted them, they just took them out one at a time, like Niemöller. They came for me, they came for me, they came for me. Same thing happened in Nazi Germany. They went through the groups. And they told the military actually in Soviet Union, you know, just stand down. Just wait. We're going to get this all figured out. Just wait for us. Stand down. And then they purge the military once they got in power. So mm -hmm. if you're believing this, what they tell you, you have no historical understanding about some of these other countries, baby. And by the way, I should mention they're purging our military right now. I believe it. Yeah, the purges are happening right now. They're just, they're just purging, you know, people like uh, the guy you mentioned earlier, Lee Muller or whatever his name was. Uh, Matt Lomiller. Matt Lomiller, yeah. So they're just, yeah. they're just going to move down the line. Scary days, man, I got to tell you. So where can yeah. people reach out to you? Do you have social media or? Um... I do. Uh, if you go to Defiance Press and Publishing, which is defiancepress.com, I have an author page there. Uh, but I also have my uh, personal website is libertyreads.com. Libertyreads.com. Uh, how's that for a coup, getting that domain name? Good. <laughs> people I should that actually, time. you have to go back right now and really look at the fundamentals of human interaction and political systems because yeah. you may not have that choice made for you you really going to have to go back through and so you're back you're going back to where they started this country back in the 18th century you know whether you're going to have liberty or not that's a question for every american 
Oh, you teed me up for two uh, uh, two more things to point out, and that's the next two books that are going to be coming out. Oh, great. Uh, Stability, Justice, and Clarity, which is uh, generalized on uh, how um, political thought has come about, and it more specifically the American Republic. Uh, and uh, the title comes from Federalist 10, where um, Madison talked about the mortal diseases that have taken down uh, popular governments everywhere, which was instability, uh, injustice, and uh, confusion, which is exactly what we're dealing with. So I just flipped them. And there's a symbiotic relationship between the three of those. And if you want to defeat communism, you have to look at all three where you stand. You need stability, you need justice, and you need clarity. And I think the situation we're in, we need to, to make sure that we start with clarity, reestablish justice, and then we will stabilize. Um, but then the other book is The Road to Americanism, which is constitutional history. Right. Very important. I mean, those are rights for everybody. The Bill of Rights apply to everybody. They should be. And uh, very important. If you lose that, if that's degraded, denuded, undermined, I, I just, some of these people are really ahistorical. They don't seem to understand what happens in other countries. It's a disaster. Yeah. Disastrous thing can happen. So you got to really be careful. You got to really be vigilant. So really recommend this book, Dennis, by Dennis Haugh, H-A-U-G-H, title again, Pocket Guide to Communism and the Foundations of Critical Race Theory. Thank you so much, Dennis. Thank you, William. All right, take care. All right, you still there? Yep.